know, last words mean everything. When someone comes to a point in their life when they're about to speak the last thing that maybe they'll ever say, we pay attention. We want to hear it's a time for instruction. It's a time for challenge. It's a time in which maybe they want to pour out uh, their love or say something that has significance that we don't want to miss in any way possible. So we pay attention to those last words. We find in the Gospel of John, as Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room, he spends some time with them in sharing some last words with them. It's his desire. He has loved these men. He has poured his life into them. He's given them every moment of every time that he can to help them to see God the Father, to help them to know what it means to walk in the fullness of life. And now he gathers them here, and in the last moments of his life, he wants to pour into them everything that he can, his love, his teaching, his challenge. He wants them to understand stand and gathered in that upper room he gives them a new commandment a new idea a new understanding and that's what we want to look at together this morning in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 we look at that command that God gives us through Jesus Christ that new commandment that Christ leaves with his disciples and through his disciples that he leaves with you that he leaves with me these words are spoken as though you and I were there with him and that we need to hear them from the Lord Christ himself that this new commandment he has given to you he has given to me and we need to understand what it is that he says. You're familiar with the words. You've heard them often. But I want us to seek to understand them and to apply them in our lives as we seek to be the people of God that he wants us to. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. And I would invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and allow this word to speak to our hearts. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, there's no way on earth that we could even begin to speak of your love and, and express our gratitude to your love. Even as we've just been so wonderfully reminded, we're redeemed because of the gracious act of God on our behalf in Christ Jesus. Father, we are loved beyond compare. We are loved in words that can never be penned or spoken or sung in any way because it's so far beyond our comprehension, the depth and the greatness of this love that has been bestowed upon us. Father, I pray this morning that because we have experienced this kind of love, because you have touched our hearts and you've made a difference in who we are, that we would hear as you spoke these words through all eternity through your disciples, is speaking them even into our own hearts. A new commandment has been given that we love one another even as Christ has loved us. And it is in that way that a world knows the reality of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you'd speak into our hearts today in Christ's name. Amen. Three things stand out in this passage that I want to bring up and look at. I'm sure there's a great deal more than that. But first of all, we, we hear the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks and as he gives his disciples gathered there around him, pouring into them his life and his love and his hope for what they will be doing in the future after he, he is crucified and resurrected and ascends to the Father. It's in their hands what will happen after that as it is in your hands and my hands as to what God will do in the world in which we live and the things that are going on. And so he makes this declaration a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, 
God has two means of distribution himself. For God so loved the world that he gave you, he gave me his only begotten son. That if we would believe in him, we wouldn't perish, but that rather we'd have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love to you and God demonstrated his love to me and that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we weren't even seeking after God, Christ died for us. God is the means by which we see and understand and feel the power of his love as he himself has given us through Jesus Christ his love. But he also uses you and he uses me to be the distributors of that love. And that's what he's talking about here, that we love one another, that we have this capacity to love each other as we look at it. Now, the commandment to love one another is not really a new commandment in and of itself. It was the Old Testament law. Leviticus 19, 18 says that God commands his people to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's not a new law in that sense. It's new in the way it's qualified, and we'll look at that in a moment. But it's a commandment of God that we are to love. And it's something that we understand that we can't do unless we've experienced ourselves. We can't love the way God wants us to love unless we ourselves have understood that we have been loved by God. We can't extend the kind of love God wants us to extend unless we understand that we who have no right to be loved, that we who deserve nothing from God, no right to expect God to love us, to forgive us, to accept us, we have been loved beyond compare by God, the creator of the universe. He's called us by name. He's picked us out. He's chosen us. He said, I want you to be in my family. I have paid the price in my son, Jesus Christ. I have redeemed you, not with the blood of lambs and goats, but with the precious blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I love you, and I have done what is necessary for you to experience a relationship with me that is everlasting. He loves us, and that's what he's trying to pour into our mind, that we would see that and understand that. Because we have been loved, we also ought to love. And it's a reciprocal pronoun that he uses here, one another. See, that simply means that someone is doing something to someone else that is being done to them. I'm loving you because you're loving me. The love is, is back and forth. We love each other. You see... In the church, what ought to be happening is we, we've all heard maybe a mother and a daughter or some or kids with their parents or something say, maybe the mother says to her daughter, I love you. And the little girl will say back in turn, I love you more. And the mother will say, no, I love you more than that. I love you to the moon. I love you to Mars. I love, you know, each one back and forth trying to say which one can outlove the other. Well, that ought to be the reality in this building. Every single time we gather together as a people of God, it ought to be the reality. Every time we encounter one another in the street, every time we encounter one another at work or at business or in shopping or wherever we are, it ought to be such an amazing sense that I love you, that I want to pour out my life into you. I want to see God do his wonders in your life. I want the best for you that can possibly happen. I love you. And in return, we experience that kind of love. You, it's amazing to know that you are loved by another individual. It's amazing to know that people who are strangers, people who have nothing in common with you except the bond of the Lord Jesus Christ can expect and desire and plead with God for the best in your life and long for you to experience all that God has because you are loved by one another. We're to love one another. It's Recipital kind of thing. We're not doing something that hasn't been already done for us. God has loved us in that way. He's not asking us to give something that we've not been given ourselves. He has loved us in that kind of manner. And because he has done that, you and I are to be the kind of people who love one another. That's the declaration. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. We're to be involved in that. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, that we are to provoke, we're to seek to provoke one another to love and good works. We're to do something. I'm to love you so much 
that it just makes you so provoked that you're just going to show me that you're going to love me more. You're going to love me better than I can love you. That's what it's supposed to be like. It ought to be, it ought to be that sense of love. And it's love that comes not because of the law that was in Leviticus where God commanded you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's no longer based upon simply a law. Now it's based upon a relationship. Now it's based upon the reality that God himself has come to me and has poured his life into me and has loved me and has chosen me though I'm unworthy, though I have no right to expect that, that there's nothing in me that would ever merit the love of God, nothing I could ever do that would say you're worthy of God loving you and yet God comes and calls me by name and says I love you and I adopt you into my family and you're mine forever and nothing can ever separate you from my love. What an amazing thing that is that we are so loved and God simply says because of that kind of love in your life love each other. Be to one another that kind of love. And then he goes on from that declaration to the design of that love so that, that we understand what makes it new is that what he says next when he says you're to love one another now listen, in the same manner that I have loved you. That's what makes it new. That's what makes it radical. That's what makes it revolutionary. See, we've always known. The, the scripture had always taught. The people have always heard, love one another. Be, you know, we ought to be kind to one another. We ought to love one another. That, that makes sense even to someone who doesn't know God. You ought to be kind to each other. We don't see it often, but it's, it makes sense. But Jesus comes and says something that's never been said before. I want you to love each other exactly as I have loved you. Wow. That begins to put the pressure on. That begins to bring it down to earth. That begins to make it realize something that we've not thought about before. It's easy for me to stand in this pulpit and say to you, I love you. I don't even know most of you. And if I did, I might not be able to say that. I don't know. And you probably think the same thing about me. But the Bible says love. We say, I, love, yeah, I can pray, God, I love the world. I want the world to be saved. I want everybody to know peace. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to, that's easy. But Jesus said, I want you to understand you're to love in the same way I have loved you. Wow. What's that mean? How, how do we do that? Well, if we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to understand what he's saying to us, if we're going to take hold of this concept that we're to love one another in the same way that we ourselves have been loved by God, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that it means is that, that we have to realize that we are loved, though it's unmerited. See, I don't deserve to be loved, but God loves me. And you and I can never, ever again as Christians, if, if those who have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, we can never, ever again put love on someone else because they deserve it only. We cannot, we cannot pick out people and say, this person deserves my love. This person has a right to my love. Never again can that happen. We have to love the unlovely. We have to love the unmerited. We have to love those who have no right whatsoever to ever be loved. But you and I are called to love them in the same way that Christ has loved us. It's unmerited. It's unceasing. It doesn't have an end. It's not that I can go to someone and say, let me demonstrate to you love for a day, for a week, for a year. No, I have to do it all the time. It's all my life for every part of my being. And to love unceasingly what God has taught me to love, the people that he's placed in my life and being part of. If I'm going to love like I've been loved, there's no end to it. 
There's no stopping to it. There's no place where I can say, well, they made me mad or they hurt my feelings or they did this or they did that. No, it's love that has no end to it. It's unceasing kind of love. As, as we look at it, it's forgiving. See, if I'm going to love the way Christ loved me, then I'm going to have to be a person who always forgives. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how bad the wrong, no matter what's going on, no matter how I perceive the situation, I have no right in my life ever to be an unforgiving person. In fact, the Bible goes on. If I had another time for another sermon, we could go ahead and go into forgiveness and talk about that for a while. But to be a person who deals with love the way Christ loved me means I never, ever, 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 ever cannot forgive someone. If I do, I'm disobedient to the Father. I'm sinning. And God removes the joy of my salvation. And God removes the ability of power in my prayer. And God removes the wonder of what it means to walk in the fullness of Christ because I'm living in disobedience. I have no right to live with unforgiveness in my life. I have no right. If I'm going to love the way that Jesus Christ loved, if I'm going to be a part of what he did in my life, then it's going to be a, a, a sacrificial kind of love. See, Jesus went to the cross. God gave everything he had to give. He didn't hold anything back. And if I'm going to love the way Christ loved me, that means it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to cost me something. I'm going to love whether you love me back or not. I'm going to love whether you accept it or not. I'm going to love no matter how painful it's going to be. I'm going to love because that's what God has said for me to do, to love you in the same manner that he loved me. Well, how did he love me? He went to the cross for me. He died for me. He gave everything that he had. He held nothing in reserve. He gave himself that I might experience his love in my life. That's how you and I are called to love. Jesus said, I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. It means that we're to love in a love that's a cleansing kind of love, a purifying kind of love, a caring kind of love, a unifying kind of love. We don't have time to, to go into detail of all these, but all you have to do is take a moment and reflect in your heart. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to be loved by him and understand that's what he said to you. He calls you by name through the power of his Holy Spirit and he says to you and he says to me, I give you a new commandment. I want you to love others in the same way that I have loved you. Well, how have you loved me, God? Occasionally. Sometimes you don't, sometimes you do. How have you loved me, God, when I've been good, but not when I've been bad? How have you loved me, God? I've loved you unceasingly, unendingly. I have loved you sacrificially. I have loved you unmeritedly. I have loved you because... I am love, and I choose to love you. And that's what God is saying to you and to me. See, there's not a person in this room that we're not to love with everything that we are. There's not a person who calls the name of Christ no matter where they are, no matter what they are, no matter how we feel about them in our innermost humanness, that we're not to love in the same way that Christ loved us. Anything less is sin. It's disobedience. It's breaking the law of God. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he tells us out of that, there's a special distinction that comes for that because he goes on to say, I give you a new commandment that you love one another in the same manner that I have loved you. And by this kind of love, people will know that you're my disciples. By this manner of loving, that's how people know we belong to God. 
See, it's a, it's a special kind of distinction. Jesus is making it very clear as he speaks here. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about what creed you hold on to. It's not about what tradition you live by. It is by the way that you love one another that people identify you as being a child of God and that people realize that the church has power. You see, this love was so amazing. It was so dynamic. It started a whole brand new thing called the church. God poured out his love. And when people begin to love one another and they begin to be what God called them to be, a dynamic happened that had never happened before. People began to come together and they begin to love. And people begin to talk about how people were loving one another. And they talked about what God was doing in their life and that they had been with God and they wanted to be around these people because they saw an evidence of something they had not experienced before. Religion couldn't do that. Religion never could speak to the heart. Religion never could bring out love. But a relationship with God the Father could bring about love in the individual's life and love for one another the way that we ought to do and it made such a difference in the world that was there and when you and I love one another the way God calls us to love one another the world notices it the problem is that when we don't they notice that as well and what makes the difference in a church making an impact upon its community a church touching the world is that we love one another the same way that God has loved us in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not easy. In fact, the Bible would help us to understand it's impossible except for the work of the Spirit of God within us. See, the Bible teaches us that love is a part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. Now, we all hear and have taught and learned about the fruit of the Spirit, and most of the time we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, which is not true because it's a singular. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. It is to love like Christ has loved. And he gives us nine evidences of that in our life that we talk about as the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruit that we look at is love. Love's in you if you're a Christian. Not because you are a loving person, but because the Spirit of the living God is in you. And God loves through you. And that love is to be present. I am to be loving now because that spirit in me is reaching out in love, but it's to be ever growing in my life as well. It's something that keeps on manifesting itself. It's something that keeps on growing larger and larger and larger. And as we love more and more, we can never run out of love. We can never reach the end of our love. It, it is something that is there as we give it. And he tells us that we have been part of it. A perfect example uh, from a human standpoint of this is the story that you're so familiar with when we talk about the Good Samaritan. The man left on the side of the road, uh, almost dead, robbed, has nothing left, no life or no hope. And, and the religious people go by, and as they go by, they walk by on the other side. They pay no heed. They give no attention to him. But then a Samaritan comes by, one who does not is not liked by this man from his Jewish background. They don't associate with one another. They have nothing to do with one another. But this man stops and has compassion upon him and he takes care of him and he mends him and he gives him, administers help to him. And then he puts him up in an inn and pays for that to be taken care of. And Jesus says to you and Jesus says to me, that's what I'm talking about when you love in the same way that I have loved you. You take no heed to the person. You take no heed to their background. You take no heed to what's going on in their life. You love them because I have loved you. And that's what the scripture teaches as we look at it and as, as we seek to understand that and, and know what's going on and being a part of that as we share with one another. You and I 
are familiar, I, I say you are, I would assume that you are, with the tomb of the unknown soldier in uh, Arlington National Park Cemetery in Washington, D.C. And you'll remember that there is a guard on duty 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There's never a time when there's not a guard actively on duty at this unknown tomb. And every hour on the hour, they change guards. Guard for an hour and then another one comes. An hour and another one comes. An hour and another one. They always, continually, unceasingly. And when the new guard comes to take his place, the one who is leaving says this. Orders remain unchanged. And every single time the new guard comes up, he hears the words that have been given, the instruction, the order that has been there, Orders remain unchanged. Almost 2,000 years ago, or a little over 2,000 years ago probably, the Lord Jesus Christ issued an order, a command. And though things in your life, in the world in which we live, may be abundantly different than what they were in his day, though it becomes harder and harder to live out our faith in the world in which we are part of, you and I need to understand this morning the order remains unchanged. This wasn't something Jesus gave to those men in the upper room and they, the, they were the only ones responsible for it. For every generation that has come since that time and for every generation that will follow you and follow me, orders remain unchanged. We are to love one another just like God has loved us in Jesus Christ. That's a command. That's an order of God, the creator. That comes from your father. Love as I have loved you. This morning, if you look into your heart and your life and you would say, especially as the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you, that, you know, there's some people that I'm not sure I'm willing to love. There's some people that have hurt me. There's some people I disagree with. There's some people that I just don't think deserve to be loved. Then you need desperately to bow your heart before God and ask for forgiveness. You need to plead with him that he will cleanse your heart and he'll bring you the forgiveness that you so desperately need and he'll restore to you the joy of his salvation in your heart. Because if you don't love the way he loved you, you're living in disobedience to your Savior. God has called us to love one another. This morning, some of you may need to go to each other. Say, forgive me. My actions and my attitude and my words have not been loving towards you. And they may not even know that, but that's not what it's about. It's about you being right with God. It's about you obeying the commandment of God. You're to love others, one another, in the same way I love you. There may be people outside this building that you're going to have to go to or you're going to have to call or you're going to have to text or you're going to have to do something and you're going to have to say to them, forgive me. 
because I've not loved you the way Christ loves me. And I, I want to. I need to for God's sake, for his glory. But see, none of that can happen if you yourself have never experienced the love of God in your own life. And if for chance this morning you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, you've never allowed him to come into your life and, and make that eternal difference in your heart, you've looked around and, and you've pointed out the hypocrites in the church, you've looked around and talked about all the people who don't love one another the way they ought to, You've seen the evidence of the lack of love more than you've seen the evidence of the kind of love God calls us to. And you said, I don't want to be a part of that. Let me just make you aware of something. God won't accept that excuse. Because God loved you in Christ Jesus. And as I've already said, he demonstrated that to you, that while you were yet sinning, while you're still sinning, while you're still separated from him, he let his son die for you. He paid the ultimate price just so you could be forgiven and you could know that you had a relationship with the eternal God in a home forever. You have no excuse for not trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's nothing you can say or do that will ever justify the rejection of Christ in your life. And I would invite you, I would encourage you, I would plead with you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, this moment, this day, this time is the time you need to get that settled. You need to experience the love of Christ in your heart. You need to let him move in your life. You need to receive his forgiveness in his everlasting life. And you need to do that now. You don't need to put it off another moment. You need a church home. If we're going to walk in the kind of love, if we're going to be the kind of people, if we're going to do the one another that God has called us to do, we do it in family. And if you don't have a church home that you identify with and you can say this is where I belong and this is where I give my life and my service to God and this is where I try to allow God to speak into my heart and grow me, then you need to come and you need to say, God, I need a church home and I believe you brought me to this place and I want to become a part of this part of your family. But for most of us, especially for me, the issue this morning is not about church membership. It's not about salvation, for those things are settled. It's about whether or not I'll love you the same way God has loved me. It's whether I'll let God so work in my life that I'll love the people I'll encounter this week in the same way that God has loved me. It's about whether I'll love those people that have hurt my feelings, that have gone against my wishes, that have done something that has disrupted my life. I'll love them the same way God's loved me. And if I'm not doing that, then what really needs to happen this morning is that I need to get on my face before God and say, God, please forgive me and help me to get up from my feet this morning and to walk out of this place with a hunger and a desire to love people, to love one another the same way you have loved me. Pray with me. Father, this morning we gather together in your name because you've invited us here. 
Oh, some of us may have come thinking that we made that decision and it was our choice all along. And certainly we did choose to accept the invitation, but we're here because you love us. You're here. We're here because you invited us into your presence. You were here because you wanted to remind us how great your love is for us. And you wanted to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with you as it would begin through salvation. You wanted to help us who have a relationship with you to have a growing, vital relationship by cleansing our hearts and, and yielding ourselves to be the instruments of your love to one another. God, I, I don't know what's in everyone's heart, but I do know that one of the problems that we deal with in our world today is the lack of God's people loving one another the way that you commanded us to do. We're not demonstrating that kind of sacrificial love, that kind of unmerited love, that kind of unending love, unceasing love, that kind of love that, that brings cleansing and hope and unification. We're selfish, and we want to be loved, but we don't want to love in return. God, forgive us. Forgive your church for being such a poor demonstration of the love of God that the world has turned to every other avenue that they can seek to try to find love when perfect love is available in Christ Jesus. God, I don't know what you want to do in these moments or how you want to work in our lives, but we're moving into a moment of invitation, your invitation. When you invite people to yourself, to receive the love and forgiveness and cleansing that comes with salvation. When you invite people to yourself to identify themselves with a part of your family and to seek to help be the bride of Christ. When you invite people to yourself who are your children to say, I want so much more for you. There's so much more that you could experience if you'd obey me, if you'd walk with me, if you'd love like I've loved you. So God, whatever you want to do in each of our lives, however you want to express your will among us, I pray that each one of us will yield our hearts to you and we'll simply say yes this morning. Whatever that means, however that's played out in our life, that we'll just say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit as you move in our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.